know, it's great. It's fun to just be touching all that beer. I mean, that sounds weird, but uh, you know, <laughs> sort of touching all that beer and just, uh, you know, follow each beer as it, as it develops and evolves and just kind of be responsible for it. So I'm loving it. Larry, I, I want to ask you something very important. Did sure. did you hit on the Chunky Donkey? No, man. Chunky Donkey. You did not hit on Chunky Donkey. I didn't, and, and I'm assuming you didn't. I did um, not. Rich, did you hit on the Chunky Donkey? <laughs> I, I did not, not knowing what the hell it is. The Chunky Donkey <laughs> is a... It's a collab. It's a it's a Nike Dunk uh, collab with Ben and Jerry's, and it has a a very flashy look to it of like a melting yellow swoosh and like the cow print from the the Ben oh, and yeah. Jerry's logo and stuff. It was just yep. a very hot item in the. It's the, a pretty sick shoe. Yeah, and the re- the resale was phenomenal. Thousands, yeah, it sold for like one twenty, I think. If you're into that. Yeah, now that? Selling, I think it sold for like one twenty retail or so, and now it's selling for like over yeah, two thousand at least. You could have re- you could have sold it for over a G, Oof. maybe maybe over fifteen hundred. That's you. Oh, I mean, that, yeah, yeah. Well, they also had like a special edition box that looks like a Ben and Jerry's tub, which looked yeah, amazing. Did. did you did you register for the Dior the Jordan One I Dior? Did, no, I didn't. Did you? You did. Oh God! Yes, of course. I did. <laughs> of course, I did. the Jordan Dior's. We'll see. I mean, that would be that would be the come up of of uh of the 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 year yeah even though the year is well what is the retail even that this like starting price is is retail is like two grand how much do you think it's gonna go for there are offers right now for like 14 or fifteen thousand dollars. god i served beer at a uh, christian dior uh shop in hong kong one time really (laughs) oh wow yeah i I chose a french beer it was a big event where we were at a, a kind of a luxury shopping mall in um Hong Kong and uh, each store had uh, had a different beer that I had chosen for from around the world. Oh, that and sounds nice. That one I chose uh, Cronenberg Blanc. It's a, uh, it's a lovely sort of uh, variation on a wit beer with uh, orange oh. peel and coriander. In it. What is and, it again? Um, yeah, the uh, it's called Cronenberg Blanc. Oh, Cronenberg. So Cronenberg. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're famous for their sixteen sixty four. Yeah. Um, but the Blanc is, uh, yeah, as I said, it's kind of a wheat beer that's spiced with orange peel and coriander. Gosh. And, um, yeah, serve that at it. And uh, the the manager of the store, this French guy, he couldn't believe how much he liked it. He said, this is from France? I cannot <laughs> believe this. This is amazing. I love this beer. Thank you so much. <laughs> but he, they didn't have any of the shoes there, though. This was a couple of years ago. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, uh, hey, everyone. Let's get started. You're now listening to Liquid Bread. I'm Maddie Smith, and with me are my buddy, actor Larry Bates. What it do? And my other buddy, Master Cicerone, and the Sultan of Sour, Rich Higgins. Sultan of Sour. Yeah, hey, everybody. Cheers. Yeah, I thought that was a good, that was a sexy title. I like it. Sexy. Sultan of Sour sounds very sexy. Sultan of Sour. Yeah. Sultan of Sour. Yeah. So I guess, uh, first off, uh, it's been a little while since our first episode, and a lot has been going on in our world. A lot of it very upsetting, a lot of it very exhausting, and a lot of it hopefully headed in the direction of positive change. Uh, So I just wanted to say I hope everybody's been staying safe, everybody's been wearing their masks, uh, and in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, feel free to check out our Twitter at Liquid Bread Pod, where we've posted a link to where you can find some local black-owned breweries to check out. Beer in particular is not a very diverse industry at all, uh, but there are a lot of great people working to change that. So why not go out, give them some support, and have a nice, refreshing beer while you're at it? Uh, and uh, Rich and Larry, how are you guys doing? I mean, shit, I'll go. I'll go. I mean, I'm I'm good for the most part, man. I'm I'm definitely happy to be back on with you guys drinking some beer. Um, I agree with you, man. It's it's been ex- it's been exhausting. You know, I've, I've been I've been black for forty three years, <laughs> and um, it's just it's just distressing to see the same issues over and over, man. So I'm just I'm just tired. 
you know, but but hoping that when we push through it all on the other side, there there'll be some some real progress, you know. And obviously, there's there's more I could say, more I'd like to say, but I'm hoping that um, you know recent events uh, just remind us to listen, you know, just expand expand our awareness beyond our own experiences, because in some of these cases, you know, people's lives are at stake. Uh, that, but that's all I got. I'm ready. I'm ready to drink some beer, man. Ready to get into this this sour. Great, which is one of my favorite beers or, or styles of beer. Yeah, you love sours, right, Larry? I love them. Yeah, what's it, you like a Goza? Is that your fave, or do you have man? A I, I love. First of all, so I'm just. I love any. Rich knows this too. Rich knows this. His uh, his wife often says this. Like I love anything sour, salty. I mm. oh god, I'm so all about savor. Oh, Rich, you'll love this, man. I just joined this. Um, I just joined this. This is not this is not beer, but it it, it kind of goes with sour. I think Rachel I'm told this, me about like, this. I'm in this pickle of the yep. month club. <laughs> That's awesome. Right? I get like three three or four jars of pickles delivered to me. Every, I've never met a pickle I didn't like. I never met a pickle I didn't like. Bread and can butter, I, whatever. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can I just say that three or four jars of pickles blows me away? Like I don't know how I would eat that many pickles in a month. Like I just. I, Rich, I can't rich. handle that much sour. Rich. I'm a wimp. I guess. Rich, I, I'm not. I'm not. Fucking, I'm not fucking. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut. I'm not fucking lying to you. I can eat. I can go through a jar of pickles in a day. Oh man, I love pickles. And like what I've already got. I got these dope pickles. Shit, I should have. Should have. I got these dope pickles. Were really good. One was a wild deal from this comp. Uh, uh, this latest company's Marsha's. I have this other great um, kind of New York deli pickle, and I have these drunken tomato pickles, which they're these like little cherry tomatoes that have been. Oh, but I haven't opened those yet. Okay. I, can't, I cannot wait. Anyway, that's mm. enough about pickles. But anyway, I love sour. So anything sour, uh, Maddie, to answer yeah. your question. So I love. Them. Yeah. Have you ever had? Have either of you guys ever had Kool Aid pickles? No. Larry, go on. I've seen them. <laughs> I don't know that I've had them. I know they exist. <laughs> They're basically, yeah, they're basically like pickles with, you they're know, soaking. just a ton of sugar and artificial color in them because you just, you make, you know, you throw cucumbers or onions or whatever you want in a jar with, uh, you know, basically a batch of Kool-Aid, but instead of using a water to make the Kool-Aid, you use vinegar. Wow. And so you've got, you know, the sugar and the artificial color and the flavors from the Kool-Aid mix plus a bunch of vinegar. And what comes out is like these neon red or, you know, neon, whatever, purple uh, oh, good. So they do. They do take to, the color. To make, oh, they yeah. totally do. Yeah, yeah. they're they're. I feel alarming. like the experience wouldn't be. <laughs> well, it's, and in my, it. in my experience, because they're very popular down south, and down south, what people usually do, usually they just pour a Kool Aid packet into a jar of pickles. So I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't even know if they do sugar, but they can. I'm just saying, like down south, you just get a pair. You just get some mm-hmm. pickles, and you just pour a Kool Aid packet in it. And, uh, I gotta say, I don't have a much of a sweet tooth overall. Like I kind of grew out of that. Um, but I still am not a fan of like I I will eat sweet relish and sweet pickles all day long. Um, and so I think the Kool Aid packet might be the way to salvage a jar of regular pickles for me. So that that that's probably blasphemy. You're not a pickle guy. I don't I don't, I don't understand this because see here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing about here's the thing about if you do just the regular uh, uh, Kool Aid pack, where I think it's not so sweet. You know what I mean? So you're just the little adding, ones, yeah. They don't have sugar adding, in them. The yeah, and a little bit more just bitterness and color to it. So, okay. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I don't. I've seen someone, someone the other day was posting on social media how they they hate pickles and they don't. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I, <laughs> there is not a pickle. There is not a pickle 
<laughs> I mean, there's, there's pickles I like more than others, but I appreciate every pickle. And I'm talking about anything pickled. And I can tell you some other crazy pickled things that I've eaten. Anything pickled, I'm a fan of. <laughs> well, this is going to be my quest now to, to yeah. try to find some weird-ass disgusting pickle that uh, is going to pro- prove your, your uh, allegiance wrong. <laughs> will, will not happen. Will not happen. Have you I mean, ever had a garlic pickled Twinkie? Oh, what? Uh, no. How does that work? How do you pickle I, a Twinkie? I don't know. Throw throw a Twinkie in a pickle jar. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not making it up. This is a Montana is that thing? Real, is that a real thing? It is now. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It's I on this it was... podcast. Millions of listeners are now going to oh, go home and make it. I thought it, it was like some fair. Well, it's not far off from like a deep fried Twinkie or something. So I thought right, that was like yeah. maybe a carnival food. It's it's got to be out there somewhere. No, I just made it up though. It's oh. it's up there with uh, Doctor Fauci's cotton candy beer that you made up a couple oh, yeah. episodes ago. <laughs> I'm still looking for that beer. Well, actually, so as far as pickles go, this um, the beer style that we're going to be tasting later today. This uh, this guz. Lambic, it, the first time I uh, shared it with, with a friend of a friend, and uh, we were at a bar in Philadelphia, and I just met him that night, and um, he's like, ooh, that looks fun. Let's try that. So we took a taste of it. He said, whoa, this beer tastes like a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> we continued to drink it anyway, despite its pickleness. No, I gotta, and, I can, you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm getting slightly offended. Uh-oh. Despite its pickledness? <laughs> Pickleness is what sells the beer. Oh, is that so? So, millions of years of—well, not millions, hundreds of years of Belgian tradition uh, down the drain. uh, Just—they're just trying to make a pickle out of a beer. No, I'm just just saying it's not. Now I'm offended. Pickleness. (laughs) Well, we're both offended. And I was going (laughs) to say what I was going to confess to is I know you said this is the beer we're drinking later. I'm already drinking it because it's sour. Cheater. Pickle. But I, I'll have some to go through with the the, uh, the tasting when we do it. I'm just having, okay. I just, and I guess on the note of the tasting, uh, I should tell everyone, uh, we're going to change our format a little bit. We're going to start uh, releasing our tastings as smaller separate episodes. So that way, those of you who like to listen when you know, you're driving or out and about, you can enjoy the main topic. You're not drinking along with us. And then when you get home, you can pop on the taster to taste along with us. And it should also give you a chance to go get a hold of the beer at any time. So you can go, come back and drink with us uh, later on so you don't you know, feel the urge to rush out and get it or feel like you missed it. Uh, and also, if you don't like to taste along with us, hopefully it's not too much of a drag to download a separate smaller episode for when you want to drive around listening to a couple weird men make lip puckering noises. <laughs> I, will, I will say, Larry, I would say I don't necessarily disagree that pick, pickle taste is bad for a beer. But if you told if you gave me like a yellow bubbling alcoholic beverage and said this tastes like pickles, I think I would be turned off. Like mentally, it doesn't sound right. But I'm, it's I don't so drink the sour. It's dissolved the cucumbers. It's dissolved pickles. <laughs> They're now one with I, the. Well, with I'm, the I, I would say I, I wouldn't also. I wouldn't drink pickle juice. But Larry, it sounds like you might. You might oh, drink oh pickle God. juice. I, I do. <laughs> I drink pickle juice regularly. Okay. Listen to me. Listen. <laughs> yeah, see, I like pickles, but I don't. What like you just them. said, what you just described, Maddie, as what would turn you off. That made me excited. <laughs> In fact, I don't think. I would like I would like to taste that beer. I would like to taste one that's designed to taste like a pickle. Throughout this episode, well, we're going to hear the, the sound of lids opening with some deal. <laughs> what did you say now? I just said throughout this episode, we're just going to hear like the sound of a lid opening coming from your microphone. We're <laughs> just pounding, cl- pounding uh, Vlasics, crunching and away. I had a, I had a pickle beer last week. It was actually meant to taste like a pickle. It was like oh. a it was a Goza base, so it was oh. sour and was salty. But then they had dill in it. I think they had garlic in it too. Uh, some cucumbers. It was from Texas. 
Um, Martin yeah. House, I think, out in uh, Dallas or Fort Worth. Well, let, me write <laughs> yeah. that down. let me write that down. In fact, I'm <laughs> yeah. actually mad that I didn't include a pickle beer in my Chicago Bear Brewery. Oh, you missed out. Mm. Yeah. And uh, as out. for uh, current events, um, obviously there's a lot going on. We've already discussed a lot of the festivals and stuff that are going on, and we'll try to be better about tweeting about you know digital festivals and activities that you guys can do at home. But in big news, we were talking about it at the top of the episode, Rich has got a fancy new job. Rich, where are you so working? fancy. <laughs> I'm a fancy brewer at, uh, at Mountains Walking Brewery in, uh, in uh, Bozeman, Montana, here where I live. So, um, yeah, I'm brewing again. I'm stoked. I've, awesome. It's been basically I was a full time brewer from 2004 through 2012. So back in the dark ages of craft beer, a lot of our listeners have probably never even heard of those years. But there was beer back then. And then I left in 2012. I started consulting full time. And I got back into a brewery in uh, like just for a few months in 2015. And it just proved to me how much I, I missed brewing. I loved brewing. But then unfortunately, that brewery went under. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of transitioned, did a lot more traveling, started running my, my trips to Belgium and Germany and um, do more teaching, and all that stuff. And the whole time I'm like, God, I love all the travel, but I miss the brewing. And so mm-hmm. now I am back in a brewery. Back in it. Um, yeah, the pandemic has sort of shut down the, the travel side of, of <laughs> yeah. life these days. So, yeah. uh, so is it, so is it very different? Have you found it like, have you had to get to know a lot of new, you know, technology or techniques and stuff like that? No, I totally know what I'm doing. I've back stayed current. I know it all. No, it's been, it's been <laughs> embarrassing actually how little I know about how to brew hazies. And, uh, I mean, hazies were around, you know, they were starting to become a thing, um, across the country when I was leaving, brewing back in 2012 but they were obviously very established out in the northeast um, by then but uh since then they've really just taken over everywhere and i sort of missed that boat um, but now that i'm back in it's it's interesting to me brewing with all this you know with oats and maltodextrin and all sorts of stuff to silken up these beers and kind of fatten them up and fluff them up it's new to me and all the different ways hops are being added and all the new hops and all that yeah i'm definitely learning a lot again and it's it's fun oh, that's wow. what i love about brewing beer is always changing wow. there's always more to learn that's awesome well if you're in the bozeman area go <laughs> say hi to rich stay six feet away don't that's you know, right. don't <laughs> overstep your bounds if you're not in the bozeman area <laughs> you still stalker. go check out uh go search out mountains walking beer it's uh i think available in portland and uh, or in uh, oh, oregon awesome. and washington in addition to montana but it also it's on a, a number of different online forums so um Check check it out, Mountains Walking Brewery. As soon as travel, as soon as we can, Maddie, we might have to we might have to make a trip. Make to a Bowman, trip up. Man. Oh yeah, we'll do and a live and do an episode, do an episode <laughs> uh, there, and then go go drink some beer. I recommend Sounds it. Good to me. Yeah, you got it. Congrats, Rich. Thanks. Yeah, I'm stoked. Well, we move on. Uh, it's been a little while, but we'll talk about the sweetness and the bitterness. A good drinking experience and a not so good drinking experience uh i have one uh that i'll talk about briefly that you know was great but also played on my worst anxieties that i've discussed on here before but basically i i was getting my car repaired down in the san diego area because that's where i got it so i have like free service at the place uh and while i was there restaurants had just opened and so while i was waiting i went to a place called cold beer and cheeseburgers do you guys know the chain cold beer and cheeseburgers I don't. I love it. <laughs> it's not the fanciest chain, but it is a solid burger, and they have a lot of good local beers. Uh, As opposed so, to a liquid pickle? Yes. <laughs> <a> solid burger. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but so I went, and I, you know, it was very, honestly, they, they, it was very safely done. There was a lot of distance, uh, masks everywhere. Everyone seemed pretty responsible, as much as you could be going to a restaurant. We sat at the bar, and the bartender asked me what I wanted, and there's a beer. And Rich, I don't know if you know this brewery, but the name is spelled 
S-O-C-I-E-T-E. How would yes, you say so, that? <laughs> I would say the French way, which is also the way they say it at the brewery, which is Societe. Okay. That's how I ordered it. And because I've been to the <laughs> well, brewery. I like this brewery. I've been to many times. I like the brewery. brewery yeah. But I've never, when you go to the brewery, you don't say the name of the brewery. You, ask, you say you order the beer, whatever. And I, so I ordered society. I, I, yeah, I, I said society is what I said, basically. So not a little mix, but it's the, the meek afraid to use an accent order. Bartender immediately says back to me, uh, society. And I just meek was like, yeah. And that was my horrible experience. Yeah. <laughs> look, look well, what's so about, bad about that? What do you say? Why is that such a bitterness? It just, it, it makes you very anxious. I don't know. It, it makes you very anxious to have ordered incorrectly. And especially, I guess with like, yeah, with beer, I just don't want to. With beer, I don't want to look. I have this is what I talk to. I talk to my therapist about Rich, <laughs> but I. It just makes me very anxious to have like said it wrong, especially to have uh, yeah. given, especially to have given the order an accent when there might not supposed to be an accent. You know, like if I yeah, well, give it a little bit, or like if I order like an endive as like an endive or something like that. Like I feel sure. like it, it. It it makes me very anxious in that interaction. But that said, the good part was I had a very good beer from Societe, uh, and I had a good burger, but the native part was that, of course, I had the old classic uh, pronunciation dilemma. Well, the pronunciation dilemma is a frequent one for me as well, but it shouldn't be your problem. It shouldn't be your baggage that the bartender is putting on you, you know? It's up That's to the what bartender. my therapist says. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, call me your therapist, I guess, but, uh, you know, a, bar, a, a bartender and the business that you're going to, to to pay money to have a good time should always make you feel good right mm. should always make you feel right as long as you're yeah. not being you know a chump and you know turning over tables or something like that but you know you should be taken care of by the staff there and so if right. he was he or she was throwing shade at you for saying it wrong uh then they are they are definitely in the wrong i mean beer should be fun Hell you yeah. know there's a lot of different kind of fancy pants beer out there these days i'm, I'm doing air quotes there you know and and just I want this stuff to be fun and accessible. Yeah. And... Well, I should I should clarify. It's not like she threw shade at me, but mm-hmm. it was just more just the moment of like the first time I've ordered a beer in four months or something. <laughs> You're rusty, of man. Of course, I get it wrong <laughs> and I'm corrected on what I just ordered. We'll well, I hope you enjoy the beer and hope you go, go back and you. enjoy more Societe beers. Well, I'll be back. And that burger is pretty good. Uh, you guys have any sweetness and bitterness you want to talk about? Yeah, I do. So... Bitterness, uh, as long as we're talking about hazy IPAs. Um, yeah, all right, I'll make it known. It's not always my favorite style of beer. I like beers that are very drinkable and refreshing, unless they are meant to be intense and, I don't know how to put it, difficult to drink, I guess. You know, a sipper, a, a beer you have at the end of the night, you're just going to sort of contemplate and, and sip and take a few sips of because each sip has so much flavor going on in it. So I kind of like beers that are one or the other. And beers that are in the middle, or I guess I, I want to say that all these hazy IPAs are sort of in the middle. And pastry stouts are kind of in the middle too, where it's like, you know, now I'm at I'm Brunette Mountains walking. We've got a lot of beers that we're really trying to dry out. You know, we're trying to have a really healthy fermentation, high attenuation. So we've got, you know, a couple different pilsners that we do. Um, we just uh, tweak the recipe on a Vienna lager uh, to make it drier, more crisp, more, more refreshing. And I love that. Um, but a lot of these other beers, the brewers are doing their best or the recipes are doing their best to make sure that the beers don't dry out. Uh, literally they lose a lot of their sugar, but they are left behind with a lot of other carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates and proteins from things like wheat and oats and maltodextrin being added. 
and that is uh it's it's a new taste for me to acquire and mm-hmm. i kind of miss the idea of an ipa being something that you want to dry out you know back in the old days 200 250 years ago the first ipas became dry and drinkable from being what was once a quite highly uh, sugary beer, but you know they spent six months tossing and turning in a barrel, traveling from England to India. And during that time, the beers would attenuate fully; they would get much drier and much more drinkable. And I just like that refreshing aspect about beer. Hmm. I don't know, call me old-fashioned or something, but I don't know. It's something for me to to learn more about the techniques of how it's done to leave the beer sort of silky, but it's it's yeah. not as drinkable to me. So get off my lawn. I'm an old man. <laughs> gotcha. It's funny because I I mean it's because I I don't I'm. You know, like we've talked about, like IPAs was never my favorite, and I enjoy the. I find the hazies very drinkable. Yeah, you're um, not wrong. You know, I, mean, and I guess the most yeah, pop- I guess they're very popular. Yeah, very popular. Yeah, most so popular, most profitable style of beer yeah. out there. But I totally see what your what your what your perspective is on. Yeah, I like the bitterness. I guess you know, I, I yeah, I grew up eating you know kind of fatty sweet things as a kid, and you know became an adult and decided that I liked you know bitterness and dare I say sourness, at least in my beers and my wines and things like that. I guess I don't love pickles that much still. But <laughs> More pickles for you, Larry. I'm, I'm saving them for you. hear a pickle jar tossed across That's, the room and that, shattering on a wall. Might, that might be a good segue because I do, I, I do have a sweetness. I do have a sweetness. <laughs> and it just happened like 15 minutes ago when I found out about this pickle beer from Martin House Brewing Company. It called <laughs> Best, it's called Best Made Sour Pickle Beer. Is that what it's called? Yeah, oh, that's the one. Yep. Where, did you, where did you get this? This it was it ended up at, at our brewery. Our brewery does a bunch of trades. Rich, yeah. Rich, when you go back into work, if there's a can, <laughs> if there's a can or two, there was only one. I apologize. There. <laughs> well, it got open. If it, it surfaces again, just go. Hey, you know, I'm gonna take this home. And then one day when I show up to Montana, there's nothing I would love more than to have this sour <laughs> beer, sour pickle beer by myself with there you scowling in the corner. Okay. <laughs> I'll I would, do my best. I appreciate it. Perhaps we'll both have to go to Dallas or to Fort Worth, wherever that brewery is, and uh, and do it ourselves out well, there too. Well, now I like that. That's that's a good uh, that's yeah. a good idea. Fort Worth, nice. Fort Worth, Fort Worth. Yeah, Fort Worth. All right, cool. Well, Larry, you mentioned your sweetness. Do you have a bitterness? I have a sweetness. No, to, no. To it's share, just, the, the sweetness covers. There's no bitterness when I find out that there is a pickle, <laughs> a pickle beer. Well, the bitterness sounds like finding out that Rich drank it. Well, no. How about this for the bitterness? I actually couldn't even finish my my little. Oh serving. no! I left it on the, <laughs> left on the counter. Okay, them's are fighting words. This, is, this has been an emotional roller coaster for Larry. I know. On the pickle subject. Well, I, well, let me share my sweetness. Um, so. You know, working at the brewery is just the, the best thing is like no matter how good the day's been or how annoying the day's been, like say I, you know, I, I'm dropping gaskets left and right or I'm, you know, I, I get sprayed in the face by yeast or something like that. You know, these things happen. At the end of the day, I get to drink a beer that I made and that I love. You know, it's like it's just got all this tangible history and emotion behind it that I just I just adore. I just love drinking that beer at the, at the end of the day in the brewery. It's just, it's such a sweetness that I'm thrilled to be back involved with. That's lovely. That's That's lovely. Speaking of sweetness, summertime is upon us. The time of baseball, swimming pools, and of course, sour beer. This is part one in what will be a multi-part look at sour beer, a category that surged in popularity in the U.S. only recently, but whose history goes back pretty much as far as beer itself. This is part one of the the summer of sour, or, or sourmer, 
I was considering, but I think I think Summer of Sour rolls off the tongue a little better. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, today, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about sour beers for the next couple episodes. We're going to talk about sour beers. Rich, uh, just before anything else, so before technology developed and brewing became a much more scientific, controlled, and understood process, uh, most beers had some sour in them, right? Oh, yeah, totally, yes. I mean, well, beer still does. Actually, every beer you've ever drunk is sour because it's an acid. So most beer is around like four and a half pH um, down to four pH. Uh, that's kind of in the, the sweet spot for most beers. And then anything south of four, um, so so as the pH lowers, things get more sour, more acidic. Um, anything south of four, give or take, tends to register as noticeably sour on your palate. So that's actually what we, what we tend to okay. call sour beer these days. But yeah, so beer is constantly trying to be fermented by anything out there, including hopefully brewer's yeast, which is what most brewers want their... Uh, beers to be fermented by, but also all sorts of airborne bacteria. You know, this bacteria, and obviously with coronavirus stuff, we're learning about all the stuff that's out there in the air. Not all of it is bad, uh, and a lot of it is good and makes things like yogurt and pickles and yeah. uh, kimchi and, you know, all, <laughs> all sorts of good stuff that we like to eat that's sour. Um, and it will also make a beer sour. So, yeah, lots of beer throughout history has been sour, and it's only been about the past, I don't know, 150 years or so maybe a little longer than that, 175 years that we expect beer not only to not be sour, but to not be sour anytime during its, its lifetime in, out in the marketplace. You know, it, you, you could expect or you expect nowadays to be able to buy a six pack of beer. You don't even bother to look at the dates on it a lot of the time. And, you know, beer could be nine months old or a year old. It might not be in perfect drinking shape, but it's not going to be sour. But way back when uh, beers that were not, kind of sour styles, you know, a lot of beers, a lot of lagers from Germany, for instance, or a lot of ales, uh, you know, like, um, you know, pale ales and things from England, people would drink them as fast as they could because they knew they were going to get sour at some mm-hmm. point because it was hard to keep them refrigerated, for instance. Artificial refrigeration is kind of a new thing. Or, you know, they would uh, sour basically from refrigeration or just time, uh, you know, oak casks, things that you know, the beer was transported in out to pubs or out to inns or taverns or whatever, um, have, you know, they're not perfectly airtight. You can get uh, oxygen getting in them through the staves of the wood, or you can have maybe potentially bacteria living in the wood. Um, And these things will slowly with time start to sour a beer. And so if you drank a beer nice and fresh, it wouldn't be sour, but you could expect at some point Mm -hmm. that very barrel of beer would eventually become sour. But it wouldn't, it would, it wouldn't be harmful to them. It was just that they didn't want the sour taste. Right. Yeah. Harmful bacteria, um, the stuff that makes you sick, uh, does not like low pHs. And Mm -hmm. so anything that is already sour to begin with or already slightly sour, like beer or wine certainly, um, doesn't have, uh, you know, those bacteria are not acid tolerant. And so beer already is is not going to harbor any dangerous bacteria. And then through the fermentation, it starts to develop alcohol, which is another which is another preservative that kills all the bad bacteria. So no beer that you drink was that a sneeze? Kazoon tight somebody. It was a, uh, it was a cough, but oh, I, cough. Tried, I, I like muffled it in, into a pillow, so it might have sounded weird. So <laughs> I, pillow, I was hoping right? to hide it. <laughs> uh, you did. You did beautifully. I didn't. I didn't out you there. Sorry. Um, but yeah. So so there's lots of bacteria that can get into beer, but it's not. It, it can change the flavor of beer, but it's not going to make you sick. It's not Ooh, bad for people. Gotcha. And I forgot if we covered it. Larry, do you like sour things? I love sour. That's what. That's what I was thinking. I love sour. Oh, okay. come on. Okay. You know what's happening. You know what's happening. <laughs> I, I get. I get. I get. I answer. Okay. Yeah, I get. 
Okay. Uh, so in this episode, uh, we're going to start by focusing on the sour beers of one country, Belgium, the land of waffles and stump. So when planning this, uh, Rich had the idea of breaking up our look at sour beer by country. And right away, Rich, you said Belgium was its own episode. Mm-hmm. That was the one oh, yeah. first thing you were very certain of. So oh, yes. why is that? Well, first of all, I was very certain of it for about the second it took me to type that in the email, and then I thought <laughs> twice about it, because beer is so complex, and I like to look at it from a million different angles. Belgium is where it's good to start, because that's what that's what people want to talk about. You know, they think about Belgium, they think about two different things. They think about uh, monks brewing beer, and they think about sour beer, okay? And so... If we're going to talk about sour beer, let's start there. There are a lot of different sour beer uh, traditions, some of them large, some of them small and local, uh, that are spread out really across across the, the beer brewing uh, countries or beer, brew, beer brewing traditions. So that includes Germany. It includes Poland, uh, you know, England, um, Ireland. Uh, but certainly in Belgium, um, there are a lot of sour beers that are still brewed and that are very commercially viable and famous styles and famous brands, you know, famous breweries that brew these. Um, so I think it's a fun place to start. The downside with starting in Belgium is that the sour beers are uh, very complex to talk about. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different stuff going on in these beers, which makes them fun to to drink. Well, I think they're fun to drink. Um, and it offers a lot of complexity to the flavor. Uh, but it's a deep, uh, twisty rabbit hole to go down cut. to discuss how they, you cut. know. <laughs> yeah, so how, how, do, how do they find, become so sour. Do you find sour, in my head, I mean, I know now, like, obviously, sours are very popular now, but in my head, they would be very polarizing, because especially mm-hmm. when we get, especially when we get, to, we'll get to, like, the Lambics and stuff, but it is sour, sour, and unlike, you know, I mean, I feel like with, like, an IPA, you you especially have the philosophy of, like, well, there's probably an IPA for you, but mm-hmm. it seems like if someone's just not in, not feeling the sour, and Larry, I know that's not you. Yeah, uh, if someone's is. not feeling the sour, then it's going to be really hard to win them over with it, right? Or do you think there is? Well, like, do you think you can break through that barrier? I think I might be able to. Ooh. There are a couple different things that that makes me think of. First of all, a lot of people like to to throw a really firm dividing line between beer and wine. And if you talk to a vintner or to a brewer, they don't see things so black and white. But to a to a to an average consumer, beer is not sour. It's bubbly and sometimes very bitter. And wine is fruity, but also tends to be sour. And the sourness of wine isn't really something you think about so much. It's not something we really talk about that much with wine. But a lot of people that don't like a sour beer probably are like, oh, yeah, I just I love drinking wine. I don't do beer, Mm -hmm. you know. And so if you recontextualize that sourness that's in wine and put it into beer, uh, it just requires an open mind when you're tasting it. But those people might decide that they they like that beer. Wow. Now, keep in mind that there are a million different types of sour beer, and some of them. So, Maddie, you, you have referenced a couple times uh, Rodenbach Grand Cru. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is I agree. It's a delicious beer. It has some residual sugar in it, and they in yeah. fact have another beer that they call Alexander yeah. that has a lot of residual sugar in it, and that residual sugar is there to balance the sourness and so it's sort of like drinking a lemonade or like a coca-cola coca-cola is actually really sour there's that old uh like i don't know to say wives tale it's more like a, like an internet sort of like uh challenge or whatever like you know throw <laughs> a penny in a in a dish with some coke and it'll uh like uh burn off or corrode off yeah, all the tarnish up. on the penny mm-hmm. right and so coke is super sour but it's also super sweet and so it yeah. makes it drinkable and so right. with Rodenbach Alexander and Rodenbach Grand Cru to an extent, though it's less sweet, 
that sourness is balanced by sweetness. Uh, and so that is, you know, sort of the magic of those beers. And so that's maybe a sort of gateway sour beer if you want. But I don't like to use mm-hmm. gateway as an idea that like, oh, that entry beer isn't that good. Yeah. And it's just a stepping stone to get to the well, good stuff. That's not well, the I'll, case. Well, I'll tell you this. A lot of a lot of people I know who, you know, who who don't drink a lot of beer, who don't really like beer, mm-hmm. like I'm, they, they love sours. Cool. They love sours. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I do feel like it's a – it is a beer like that if I'm hanging out with a friend and like, oh, I don't really drink beer. A lot of times if, if you know, if it's in season or whatever, or I can I can get my hands on it, I'll order a sour and be like tasting it. I'm like, oh, my God, I like this. Cool. Some more. Mm-hmm. I do think a lot of a large part of that is mental, though, Rich, like you were saying, because I do think mm-hmm. for some reason in my head, I still almost put sour beer in a whole separate category. Whereas I'm like stouts are like, quote unquote, normal beers, IPAs mm-hmm. are normal beers, pilsners. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just about context. You know, if, if yeah. you're if you grew up in central or western Belgium, sour beers were sort of the, the norm. You know, I mean, there are a lot mm-hmm. of breweries out in Belgium that are trying to make three and a half percent alcohol uh, sour beers with a lot of sugar that's added back to them. Uh, and they're branded specifically for teenagers to drink. You know, it's legal to drink beer in Belgium at age 16. So mm-hmm. they want people to sort of grow up with that sweet, sour taste. And Larry, what you're talking about. You know, a lot of people that say they don't like beer, they might like a sour beer because it reminds them more of maybe you know, beverages that they like, whether that's yeah. a glass of wine or champagne yeah. with the bubbles or even a cocktail. You know, a lot of us like citrus forward cocktails or yes. um, or another way of looking at it, like a gin and tonic really shares a lot in flavor profile with a beer, with a non-sour beer, like an IPA, for instance, that could have some sweetness, some bitterness for sure. Um, you know, uh, the quinine that's in tonic water adds bitterness. And so traditionally those... Tonic water was, or quinine was an anti-malarial drug, and so you you needed the quinine, and then you'd have some sugar to soften the bitterness of the quinine, and why not throw in some gin uh, for, for fun? But the gin obviously brings in a lot of sort of juniper and, and piney aromatics, and there are a lot of piney aromatics and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of IPAs. And so, you know, if you might say, oh, I like sour beers because they taste like a citrusy cocktail, you might also say, oh, I like IPAs because they remind me of a gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm just trying to recontextualize all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah, yeah. it was interesting. I remember, well, because I remember, you know, like I talk about that that fateful uh, Belgium tour I went on with my dad and, and <laughs> you, you, you led, Rich. And I remember mm-hmm. even when I was emailing you beforehand, you did you did take a second to be like, and just so you know, this day we're going to the Lambic breweries and this mm-hmm. is the sour, you know, you, you called it yeah. out as like a specific thing. And then we went and I am Lala for Lambic. I am on board <laughs> with Lambic beer. Um, my dad, who generally is more of a wine guy, cause it's kind of interesting. You mentioned the wine people. He did not really love the sour beers. You know, he was, he had a mm-hmm. great time. He was like to be there. It was like interesting taste for him. But he left yeah. Belgium absolutely in love with triples and Gout and Carolus yeah. and 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 kind of the sweeter side of things. Mm-hmm. And he was not even interested in kind of he's he's not he's not carried with him that any sort of like interest in the sour thing. Yeah. And that's why I ask about if it turns people off or what what kind of that barrier is. But let's get mm-hmm. into let's get into it then. Seems like the the best starting point. Um I'll contextualize it. When we were out there in Belgium, we went to the Cantillon Brewery. And when you're walking around Cantillon, there's like cobwebs oh, yeah. in the in the in the uh, ceiling. There's dust <laughs> everywhere. There's like birds flying around. Rich, <laughs> small birds, <laughs> small friendly birds, safe birds. Rich, what's going on? Uh, history, <laughs> magic, mystery, uh, romance, all that stuff is going on. Um, it's it's 
so not just that brewery, but a lot of uh, sour beer breweries are specifically trying to court uh, a wider ecosystem of um, airborne fermenters, basically, let's put it that way. So we're talking things like uh, typical brewer's yeast, as well as wild yeast, as well as a variety of different bacteria. And again, this is where people start to get scared and be like, oh, I don't know about bacteria. There's so much bacteria in so much of what we eat. We all talk about like healthy gut biomes and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of the species um, that ferment uh, these sour beers are the same ones that we need in our lives. So if you have a pristinely clean brewery, the full of stainless steel and everything's entirely cleanable and sanitizable and all that stuff, it can be hard to grow and really keep alive a complex biome of different bacteria and different airborne yeasts. Um, and so nowadays when uh, a lot of these older historical breweries that have wood rafters everywhere and, uh, you know, open louvers instead of like glass windows to allow, uh, you know, breezes through the building and, um, you know, all sorts of who knows what's growwing anywhere. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> Clear my throat. Um, though the, like the EU inspectors, health inspectors will come in and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not cool. This is not what we do these days. Okay. This is not the 1800s. Uh, we need you to clean this stuff up. We need stainless steel. We need, uh, you know, to see all your, uh, the cleaning chemicals that you use. And um, this type of brewing is uh, not like that. And it's much more like these old school ways of making cheese and making wine and making a lot of kind of quote unquote, dirty, older, uh, more traditional fermented goods. Um, so it's it's like a step back in time, and the yeah. flavor of these beers uh, is not very predictable from beer to beer, from barrel to barrel. Uh, however, the beers are blended; you know, they're aged for two, three, four years, um, and then a master blender will keep an eye on each of these barrels and notice how they're changing with time, and say, "All right, well, this barrel is going to be great uh, when it's blended with something that's a little bit more sour, or something that's a little bit sweeter, something that has a little bit more fruit aroma or earth aroma, or something." And so they come up with these kind of cocktails of different uh, blends of barrels to come up with a somewhat consistent uh, product. But uh, it all starts with the consistency of their house flavor. And the house flavor is what exists in the the cobwebs and the the rafters and all that stuff. So even to like simplify it even more and kind of to even like dial it back to the start, like, so this is this is wild fermentation is the idea of it. And, you know, it's obviously we'll get to this later on when we talk about like wild ales, Mm -hmm. the most basic version of it um and i don't want <laughs> i don't want to disappoint you rich by by How being too you simple with it <laughs> we'll, we'll just like, like uh, you know we went on the tour and i don't want but basically the idea is that you're you're fermenting the the beer kind of just in open air and letting the yeah. air do its do, letting the right. letting the, the the world do its business yep exactly i'm only i'm only slightly confused but because these this yeast would not be ale or lager yeast so for like for something that's a wild ale are they um, also using some ale yeast, or is it just kind of? Uh, you understand my question? Yeah, Larry, this is a f- perfect question. Um, <clears throat> to to those who think that there are you know ales and lagers and that's it, uh, I'll borrow a line from the Big Lebowski. Uh, your thinking has become uh, too uptight here. So the idea <laughs> is that um, throughout time brewers have tried to figure out ways of making their beer consistent so that they can sell more beer they they can establish a market that knows what to expect from their brewery and their brand and their style of beer and so to do that you want to take out kind of oddball actors including you know various yeasts and bacteria that are wild and that change seasonally and so the most consistent 
yeast that produce the most predictable flavors happen to be a couple different uh, species of brewer's yeast. One is called ale yeast and one is called lager yeast. Within ale yeast and lager yeast, there are other species, or I should say uh, subspecies or strains that can give you some other kind of tweaks on those flavors. But backing out, you know, zooming out a little bit from those just to those two small uh, species, you've got a huge, enormous uh, taxonomy of, of different species and genuses or genera, they're called, of, of yeasts, just yeast, okay? not even talking about bacteria. And each mm. of those yeasts will act differently and they'll ferment different sorts of sugars and create different sorts of alcohols at different temperatures. Uh, they'll create different aromatics as well. Some of these aromatics are lovely and fruity. Some of them are spicy. Some of them are earthy, stinky. Barnyardy. Some of them are medicinal and smoky. Mm. Um, there are all sorts of wild flavors that you know. Again, in the in the right place, uh, with the right you know the right uh, palette of the master blender, they come up with beers that have a ton of character and that are mostly consistent from from year to year. You know, but they have slight differences. The way a, a winery will will celebrate the differences in different vintages. Um, but you know, if you're just going to talk about ale yeast or lager yeast, you're really leaving out a lot of historical right. flavors. Um, yeah. So yeah, obviously, the, with the huge number of different beers and brands that are out there that are just ales or lagers, you can tell how many different possibilities are out there for flavor. But then moving out beyond that stuff, uh, you get into the wild stuff where it gets even less predictable. Well, so what, that's the, well, that's wild the, fermentation. Well, what would be the classification of those wild fermented beers? You know. Um, they're beers, okay, first and yeah. foremost, because they are a f- fermented beverage made from cereal grains. Yes. Um, beyond that, you know, you can call them wild ales. They do have some ale yeast in them, um, okay. but they're okay. various. <laughs> oh, that's what you asked 10 minutes ago that I <laughs> refused to answer. <laughs> <laughs> they do have some ale yeast in them. They might even have some lager yeast in them. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly have wine yeasts in them. Yeah. Well, it's hard me, to really yeah. categorize let, them. Let me ask about the one, then, the one, ye- the one yeast called Britannomyces. Okay. Uh, for Tanomyces. Um, and this is because, and I, I bring this one up because this is one that you see like name dropped a lot. It's yeah. often, I think people will sometimes you'll see like a Brett Saison even, mm-hmm. and it comes up a lot, especially with these sour beers. So do you want to talk a second about that strain of yeast? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, well, it's not a strain. It's a genus. Oh, so it's genus. completely different from, from Corrected. I Corrected. cross this out. The- Genus. taxonomically you're giving, you're giving maddie you're getting you're giving maddie more anxiety i wrote, I wrote it in pen and i know i know you're gonna get the corrections for rich now i'm back in cold beer i'm back in cold beer and cheeseburgers oh no it was a sour Just beer cough, there too cough into that pillow maddie it's okay oh, oh boy so oh, it's a different genus and the only reason i mention that is it's 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 dna it's ge- genetics are very distinct from the Saccharomyces genus that we get ale and lager yeast from. So it acts pretty differently. Um, but, but there are a lot of different species within Britannomyces that brewers and vintners are still studying, learning about. The main ones that we use in brewing, most of the time, they're like eh, maybe five different species. They tend to do – the one thing they, ha- they really have in common is that they're super attenuators, okay. all right? meaning that they attenuate. And in, attenuation, in uh, brewing, attenuation is the consumption of sugars – that tastes sweet to people and uh, you know, before the fermentation, then after the fermentation, those sugars have been fermented and converted into alcohol, carbon dioxide, and other flavors. Most brewer's yeasts will poop out at some point. They'll, they'll get too tired. They, there are these sugars and carbohydrates that they just don't know how to ferment and how to metabolize. But Britannomyces can if you give it enough time. 
And so along the way, different strains of Britannomyces will consume uh, different sorts of sugars and create different sorts of flavors from those sugars. So uh, there's like one strain of Britannomyces is it's very, it's called a neutral strain and it's very quick at fermenting for Britannomyces within about, you know, four to eight weeks or so you can have a Brett IPA for instance. So, so sorry, Brett uh, is shorthand for Britannomyces, B-R-E-T-T. So Brett, Brett IPAs don't taste super different from other IPAs, except that they're very dry because the Britannomyces yeast has consumed all those sugars. And along the way, uh, in addition to making alcohol and carbon dioxide, that strain of Britannomyces produces lots of nice tropical fruit flavors and citrus fruit flavors. So you might mm. taste mango and pineapple and grapefruit. So those are all lovely flavors that are frequently in IPAs, but frequently um, their, their source is hops. So a lot of hops will produce those, those same flavors in, in an IPA. So a Brett IPA is fermented with this one strain of Brett. Another strain of Brett that's all the way on the other end of the spectrum, the flavor spectrum, is a uh, strain called um, uh, Britannomyces bruxellus lam- uh, lambicus. So Britannomyces is the genus, bruxellensis is the species, and lambicus is the strain or the subspecies. And that strain will produce um, a lot of kind of... <laughs> They're not very nice-sounding aromatics, but they're the same um, aromatics, uh, aromatic molecules um, that are in things like horse manure and oh. wool and uh, stinky cheese mm-hmm. and um, uh, cloves and smoke, um, medicinal things like band-aids and antiseptic. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Brett is kind Crazy. of a, in some ways, Brett is kind of a dangerous yeast or i don't know dangerous well don't say dangerous it's not dangerous but it's something i know like wine winemakers want to avoid it right like it is a yes it's bad to have most winemakers and most brewers don't want to have anything to do with this stuff because who the hell wants their beer or their wine to taste like horse shit huh yeah it doesn't sound good but um there Mm. are some vintners out there particularly uh uh vintners of Let's see. There are a fair amount in um spain and italy uh southern france um that don't purposely add this yeast to their wines but they're very kind of rustic wines these vintners are known for having rustic wines and they just ferment their grapes with whatever happens to be growing on the grape skins so it's natural fermentation through the through the, the flora it's called what lives on the grapes and some of the stuff that lives on those grapes is this Britannomyces yeast and so they can have a little bit of brett in those wines and there are a lot of sommeliers who think that's so cool you know they'll go <laughs> out and seek out these rustic wineries uh, wines and put them on their their list sort of at the bottom of their list at their restaurant or their wine bar and you know push most consumers toward the top of the list but for geeky consumers that want to be a little more adventurous they can get into the, some, some of the brett stuff and beer is not really any different except that um, more consumers are more interested in tapping into the history of beer, getting outside of things like Pilsers and IPAs to get into some of the funkier stuff um, from some of these wild fermentations from especially uh, Belgian breweries. Okay. And we'll get into, you know, we'll get more into wild fermentation in the context of like more modern methods and stuff like that. But when you see like a wild ale, are they doing this more open air thing or is it more that they're just, just more going more for the flavor of it? And mm-hmm. maybe using the yeasts from it, but not necessarily using similar methods to, you know, yeah. like in this case, a lambic. Are they going whole hog into yeah. the, you know, the, the, yeah, like wooden, I, I guess, I guess, like, yeah, I guess mainly like, cause I think of like, you know, like one brewery I loved uh, when I was in Portland, Maine was Oxbow and they have mm-hmm. a lot of like sours and it's very European style and they have a lot of barrels decorating, you know, they're being used, they're functional, but they're, you know, the brewery's mm-hmm. decorated with barrels and they have a farmhouse up in the rural area in the countryside of Maine and everything. Obviously, it's not the same air as 
they have in Brussels and it's a different environment and everything. So how, well, so there are a lot there. There's not really one definition for this stuff. It's, there are a lot of breweries that say they're doing one thing, but their interpretation of that is not everyone else's interpretation. So let's just basically say that, you know, wild fermentation to me should be something where you are not adding, you are not intentionally adding or inoculating as the word uh, brewers use. You're not inoculating any sort of uh, laboratory cultured yeast. Okay. So most breweries and there are, you know, 8,000 breweries across the United States, uh, I would say 700 or 7,000 fit. Um, well, what are my numbers? <laughs> 7,950 of them are buying their yeast from yeast labs. Okay, so yeast labs will culture the yeast, make sure that the yeast strains are um, uh, clean and healthy and distinct from each other. They're not mixed at all unless you buy a mixed blend of these yeasts and bacteria. And so you can sort of, you know, just shop. It's just like going online shopping, you know, for whatever strains you want, whatever mixtures you want. And so if you're going to make a sour beer or a quote unquote wild beer with lab cultured yeast, um, you know, the, be- the beer could be absolutely delicious, but it's not technically wild. And there are a handful of breweries out there mm-hmm. who are doing wild beers with the- where they are not intentionally inoculating anything into those beers. And they're spontaneously fermented by whatever happens to live in the air or in the wood of the brewery or whatever. Actually, Mountains mm-hmm. Walking, where I work, is one of those breweries. So most of their oh, beers wow. are yeah. – they do use lab-cultured yeast, but they do have a cool ship that's uh, in a cedar-paneled wood um, – cedar, cedar wood-paneled room – um, and they've made a couple spontaneous, you know, Montana spontaneous, Montaneous, I guess, uh, uh, sour beers. And there um, there's a new, there's oh, a new wow. beer name. You got to name it Montaneous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're delicious. They're weird. They're sour. Yeah. They're funky, but they're fun. What is, let's let's actually, you know, just because you said the word, and I have had it explained to me before. Just what is a cool ship? Because you'll okay, sometimes so, you'll see a cool ship beer yeah. in some way at a brewery. What's cool ship? Cool ship is a weird word in English. Um, it comes from uh, Dutch, actually. So uh, it's K O E L uh, for cold or cool, and then ship is S C H I P, right? Yeah, cool ship. That's the Dutch word for it. And in northern Belgium, they speak uh, a dialect of Dutch called Flemish. Okay, and so when Belgians brew uh, sour beer or wild beer, spontaneously fermented beer, they will um, brew a batch of wort, which is unfermented beer. Okay, so where it has hops in it, it has malt in it, it has water in it, and then you strain out the hops and the malt, so you end up with just this um, kind of malty, hoppy tea uh, that's really sweet with malt sugars, and then um, you boil it. Okay, and at the at the end of the boiling process, uh, that's basically the end of the the human aspect of brewing, yeah. and then you um, then you start to ferment it with with yeast and or bacteria. Okay, and so you have to cool it down though to get it from boiling down to fermentation temperatures. Uh, boiling is too hot for stuff to survive in it, right? It's it's a way of pasteurizing stuff. And so you will kill bacteria and you'll kill yeast in it. Um, but if you want bacteria and yeast to ferment it, you have to cool it down. And so a cool ship is a way of cooling the where, where it goes into a shallow, wide, uh, basically a bathtub, um, but it can be the size of, you know, an entire room in a house. Um, and that is a way of allowing the cool, the wort to cool uh, but it takes a while. It takes overnight, you know, and so you traditionally will open up the louvered uh, windows on your on your building in the cool ship room and allow the breezes uh, to flow in overnight and blow, uh, you know, kind of blow the, the work cold and blow the, the hot, uh, steamy um heat away from away from away from the word sorry i'm tripping over my words here uh but in the process all the bacteria and the yeast that are on the air uh, uh end up floating into that wort and inoculating that wort so it's entirely 
uh, spontaneously fermented in that okay. brewers are not adding anything intentionally. It's just whatever happens to float in gotcha. on the air. Wow. So brewers, there are a lot. So like in Lambic Country, they have specific, like it's it's an AOP or like a, 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 what is it, a protected designation of origin uh, through the EU in order to um, basically say that in this area, in this area only, uh, this part of the Zen River Valley, that's the area that you can brew Lambic in and no other place anywhere else in the world. And that's because of the particular, the plants that grow in the area, the orchards, uh, the fruit orchards that are growing in the area, the temperature, you know, the climate, things like that, that make for the terroir. How exact is that though? Like how, is is it really, like, is it really that hard to replicate a Lambic elsewhere? Well, you tell me, you know, try, try a beer from Lost Abbey, try a beer from Oxbow, try a beer from Fontaflora or Anchorage up in, in Alaska and tell me, does it taste the same? You know, a lot of these breweries are trying to make a beer that's as faithful to a lambic as possible. Mm-hmm. But if you get really down to it, you should yeah. be able to find some differences. Well, it's hard. It's hard to have them back to back because you got they're very far apart. Well, so you gotta yeah yeah you gotta you bring gotta, them both. I know. I actually that's have the a, mystery yeah. of it. Yeah, that's the mystery. Yeah, yeah. Of it. The one more thing, kind of before we get to like obviously we're mostly talking about lambics and we'll, and we'll get to what to expect mm-hmm. from a lambic. But let's say we got a guy who lives next door to Cantillon. Okay. Yeah. His apartment, it's gotten real messy. It's just looking horrible. It's it's he's not taking care of it. His family's gonna come stay with him. He's got pickle jars all over the place. Uh, let's, let's call this guy Larry. All right. So Larry, he has not cleaned this place in a long time. I don't time. have pickle jars all over my place. <laughs> it's like Howard Hughes, but um but uh, so he calls a cleaning service. Calls a cleaning service in, gives him all the information. But he definitely gives the, not me. But he gives <laughs> but he gives him the wrong address. He accidentally gives him Cantillon's address. They go oh, into Larry. they go into Cantillon. The door is just open, I guess, because you know someone left it open. They go on in. They see all the cobwebs. They dust it up. They clean it up. They clean. Mm. They clean up Cantillon. They make it spotless. Mm. Have they just ruined over a hundred years of beer history? Like, can is it yes. really gonna is it really gonna change yes. the fundamental flavor of the beer that much? Hands down. Yes. Okay. Wow. 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 Okay. Yeah. Good. That's all there is to it. I can dive into it, but the answer is yes. It's not ir- it's not irrevocable. Uh, it's not irreparable. You just have to wait another hundred years for all that. <laughs> you know, all the cobwebs and stuff. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so because it's, thing, a, it's it's a symbiosis. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a symbiosis. So not only are the you know the yeast bacteria uh, fermenting the beers, but the beers are in that one place and they're off gassing and they're uh, you know they're reusing the the oak and they're you know just all this stuff ends up staying in that place and feeding back up to the rafters and feeding up back to the back to the actual physical space. And so if you change one part of that symbiotic equation, it you know definitely changes the other half of it too. And so you you know they need to to build back up, build that flavor back up for sure. Cool. Glad I asked. Yeah, well, because it just seems like it's such an uncontrollable mm-hmm. thing. You well, know? it's controlled. Like it is, it is controlled. Yeah, you're preserving. You just but have like to it, keep yeah. brewing. Yeah, and so there's there actually is change. There's, there's so Brussels is like every other city in, in the world that where it's expanding and it's got more suburb or suburbs. A lot of the farms and orchards that were you know initially close to a lot of these breweries have been cut down and turned into parking lots and shopping malls and you know residential housing. And so that is changing the biology of the of what's on the air or in the air in Brussels. And so there are a lot of lambic brewers that are scared about that. It's there's you can't really stop progress like that, you know. But yeah. uh, lambic brewers are definitely nervous about that. So let's talk about what we're going to expect. So we just went to the Cantillon Brewery. We had a nice tour guide named Albert wearing a Nelson Mandela shirt. 
who had some who had some, who had some opinions over Americans bringing Coca Cola to Europe. He was fantastic. He was, was wonderful. Fantastic. I loved Albert. He was. I also yeah. agreed with. Um, yeah. And so, but at the end of the tour, Albert he busts out that bottle of the Cantillon. Obviously, there's different styles. So, Rich, let's get into it. I, I honestly, as a in my very dumb, plain spoken way, would say that a lambic beer to me tastes just like pure sour. Like it's complex. There's a lot going on into it, but it just mm-hmm. is like almost like if I had to simplify it, like if someone said, what does it taste like? I would be like, this is taste what in my head, this is what sour tastes like. Okay. So why now don't you describe it? There's some, there's some, it's funny. Cause I think of, I think of lambics as being very sweet. Well, yeah, there you've got good points here. I'm, I'm happy to, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I mean, right. I know there's, Rich I know there are sour lambics, but generally, yeah. I think lambics. When I when I hear of a lambic, I go, oh, it's going to be really sweet. Really, like a peach, like a peach lambic. Have you ever had that? Um, I've had like the, the pesh. Oh melon. God, mm-hmm. it's so sweet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, think it's sour. No, that's sweet. That feels I mean, like I know. fruited. That feels like a fruited sour. Almost, I would think. Whereas I'm just, I'm just thinking of like the pure like. Like I have a bottle of goose in my in my closet from the Candian Brewery, just like the pure lambic beer that doesn't have any it has no fruiting going on to it um, a, go, a, a goes you said a goose right goose goose but is that is that goose. different than a lambic or or is it is it classified as a lamb well goose is like oh man if i get this wrong rich will be mad because i went on a tour but i believe a goose is is like is different years different ages of lambic blended together Ding, ding, ding. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love this. So, so remember that old far side where far side cartoon where there's some, some bespectacled kid who's holding a jar of like, they, there are these two cockroaches or ants or something. in it. And it's like, if, if I shake it, I'd like to see him fight. <laughs> it's just funny to listen to you guys. You're both exactly right. You're both right, but you have totally opposite views of this stuff. And it's because it's a, it's a pretty complex subject it's a complex topic that is hard to simplify and i did not mean to reduce you to to gary larson uh no i love it drawings of, of ants <laughs> here but so so the the beer we're gonna be drinking later in the tasting sessions um is from lindemann's brewery okay lindemann's brewery is the largest most famous sour or sorry not sour um lambic brewery in belgium and they are very famous worldwide for their sweetened fruit lambics all right mm. so lambic to be a lambic has to be. I mean, there are a lot of you know things you have to check off, you know, boxes you have to check in order to make this thing a lambic. But one of them is that it has to be brewed in the Peutenland area, which is the Zen River Valley, um, right around Brussels, and it has to be fermented uh, spontaneously. All right, so spontaneous in that part of Belgium means you're going to get a variety of different wild yeast and bacteria, including Brettanomyces. And remember, Brettanomyces is a super attenuator, meaning that it will ferment all the sugars you give it, all right? So that means that these beers will be dry, not sweet, Mm -hmm. all right? And the bacteria is responsible for sourness, all right? Britannomyces, a lot of people assume, is is the souring agent. It's actually not. It's bacteria that will make it sour. Mm -hmm. So every lambic, every legally accurately described lambic means that it will have sourness, uh, hardly any residual sugar, and um, it will uh, will have Britannomyces in it. There is a tradition because because what we've what I've just described there is a pretty difficult to drink beverage. Like it's like a pet gnat. Okay, that's the that's psalm yeah. speak for a very dry uh, champagne that has no dosage. Okay, dosage is a fancy French way of describing back sweetening. Okay, back sweetening is when you add sugar or grape juice or something to soften and sweeten the product as it's being bottled. 
All right. Mm. And so champagne is so sour on its own from the sourness of the grapes. And it's so bubbly and astringent from all that uh, carbon dioxide that it's difficult to drink unless it's been back sweetened. And Lambic can be the same way. And so Mm. if you drink straight aged Lambic that's like three years old and it's not been blended with any other younger Lambic or any fruit or it hasn't been back sweetened at all, it's difficult to drink. It's just like a pet and hat uh, champagne. Okay, zero dosage champagne. But the Lambic producers, in order to basically take this stuff that was fermenting for free all around them uh, and turn it into a commercial good that they could sell, they had to find ways to soften it as well as ways to make it more consistent. And so the blending I was talking about is not only a way of making it consistent from year to or Well, the batch that you release from year to year is more consistent, but you're blending it from different years that are internally inconsistent. But you're mm-hmm. aiming for consistency. Um, it's also a way of softening it because you're using some younger Lambic that might still have some sugar in it, might still have some sweetness in it, and you're blending it with some more aged Lambic that has more sourness in it, and you're making what I hope you agree is a lovely beverage. And so that is a guz, all right? It's a mouthful of a word. It's spelled variously G-E-U-Z-E or G-U-E-U-Z-E. It's not Flemish. It's not French. No one knows really what it is or where the word came from as as, as far as I can tell. But a guz is a blend of various lambics, and it is not back sweetened, and it is slightly softer and more approachable than a straight uh, aged lambic because it does have some younger lambic in it. Mm. If you if you drink straight young lambic, it can be sort of sweet, but it tends to have very kind of uh, offensive flavors in it that haven't been aged out. It's things like uh, that buttery flavor, Larry, that you love so much. Okay, <laughs> so diacetyl is produced by P- Pediococcus bacteria, as well as certain brewers' yeasts, as well as certain strains of Lactobacillus. And that buttery flavor doesn't taste good, and it's in a lot of young lambics up to about a year and a half uh, of age, at which now, point the st- – go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, is there any relation between – and maybe I'm going all over the place here – between goose, as you guys say it, <laughs> and, a, and a goza? There is not, except that oh. they're both beers and they're both sour. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm glad you said that, Larry, because I, okay. I came away from Belgium like knowing goza and goose, and for a while I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it must be just the German word for it. But no. Yeah, no relation. Uh, go- Goza, we'll talk about it next episode, but that's a sour beer from central eastern Germany, uh, but has zero relation to Goose historically. Perfect. Okay, perfect. Cool. So so then do you want to talk about kind of some of the varieties of, of flavors? Well, yeah. Like, or, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so go ahead. It seems like Creek, to start mm-hmm. off, is a good starting point for the first like one, and that's cherry, cherry flavored. So mm-hmm. do you want to get into kind of how that's flavored? Yeah, so so the alternate ways of softening or or changing the flavor of this straight, intense aged lambic is uh, not only by blending with other younger lambics, but you can also instead just blend it with fruit. Mm. And so Creek is uh, Flem- the Flemish word for a sour cherry. Uh, and so those cherries go in, they have uh, they add more acid. They add a lot of cherry flavor, a lot of cherry color. They don't, they're sour cherries, so they don't have a ton of uh, sugar to them. So they don't really sweeten or soften that beer very much. They just add some nice tannins, some nice kind of whiny uh, aromatics, as well as a nice really kind of nice cherry color to it. Lindemann specifically sells a ton of Creek Lambic, but it starts with very legit Lambic, adds very legit cherries to it, but then adds a lot of back sweetener to it yeah. when it bottles it. So all of the Lindemann's fruited lambics are very, very sweet uh, to drink. Yeah, That's they have a lot of back, back sweetener. I was going to say a lot of the creeks I've had since since that the, since the ones we had in, in Brussels, mm-hmm. they don't remind me that much of the creek we had at like Cantillon, which was mm-hmm. very sour. And I think I preferred yeah. that. Like I don't 
mm-hmm. partly because I'm not huge on cherry as a sweet, mm-hmm. a sweet flavoring. Can you find Creek that is more like the non-sweetened version, like more of the sour Creek? Yeah. Is that yeah. widely so, available? So the, the sweetened Lindemann stuff, Timmermans is another producer that does a lot of sweetened stuff. Um, those are pretty easy to find because they're sweet, and so there's a bigger market for them. So it's harder to find mm-hmm. the unsweetened stuff, but it's out there. It's also usually two to three times, well, sometimes even four times uh, the price. So the to make the um, unsweetened stuff taste good, uh, and again, that's sort of an acquired taste, um, it takes time. Okay, and it takes a lot of real fruit, and uh, it just takes years for the stuff to age. And so that's a slow, expensive process. And so the, the liniment stuff, some of it has some, some real cherry in there, but there's also a lot of kind of fake or I don't know about artificial, but it's like kind of cheap, sweet cherry extract that gets added to it, and then they sweeten it. And so it doesn't have to spend as much time being made. It might just be a four- or five-month turnaround. Um, so that stuff is pretty cheap, and you can get a bottle of liniments or Timmermans for, I don't know, two bucks, three bucks a bottle or something like that. Whereas the stuff we were drinking, Maddie, from Cantillon and Drifontaine and, and Albersal, uh, all those tend to be, you know, a, a 750 milliliter bottle might cost, you know, 15 to $20. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're talking about a much more expensive product. I just, I just also want to say real quick, I keep saying Cantillon just because that was one of the tours we went on. But yeah, but there's a lot of great Lambic breweries. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I am drinking out of an Ode Bersol. Uh, glass right now oh, um, that they gave us for free after a tasting <laughs> you know <laughs> but giving, giving me something free is a great way to leave a good impression <laughs> but the beer you're drinking out of it is a lindemann's product well, not, but it's yeah, not, I'm not fruited. it's it's one of their it's one of the okay well good for you uh but yeah <laughs> when we get to the tasting thing it is one of the ones that um it's basically a one that lindemann's makes that's not fruited mm-hmm. not sweetened mm-hmm. and it's a really lovely one that i think the brewers wish they could brew more of because they could find a bigger market for it oh great but, so, they, yeah, so I, we can, we can say like cuvee renee is what we're talking about yes yeah yeah, yeah. We'll obviously from, we'll have the, the taster, but just yeah, in case someone's listening and wants to know right now and not wait to wait to find out. Yeah, a lot of great places. I always I always have like the breweries that I mention a lot, and I always want to tell people like, oh, there's also like a million other great ones. Maybe they're just the breweries you can pronounce. Oh god! Oh no! I thought I did Ode Bersel pretty well. Was that not? Oh, oh you did great, Maddie. You did great. You did great. <laughs> oh, He's no, adding to your anxiety, like, Maddie. He's adding to your anxiety. This is awful. <laughs> oh man. Again, cold beer and cheeseburger. That's why I like cold beer and cheeseburgers because that's you're gonna, you're gonna pronounce that right every time. <laughs> so then, uh, so, yeah, so there are other fruits though you can yeah. add. It's not just Creek. Um, there's uh, framboise. So framboise Creek is, is one of my favorite French words. <sighs> it's a lovely that, French word. So no it is one a gains French anything word. from knowing that, but. <laughs> so it's French for raspberry, whereas Creek is Flemish for sour cherry. So, you know, there's, there's mm. a real kind of linguistic uh, uh, melting pot there um, in, in Brussels. But um, yeah, so it's framboise. Those are the most traditional ones, but there are other ones. There's uh, uh, quetch or, or quetch, which is a plum one. What else? Yeah, there's uh, apricot. Um, I'm forgetting some. Uh, there's a current one. They're grape ones. Uh, Cantillon makes some um, that have grapes in them, too. So, yeah, just a lot of different fruits, and it's just a tradition of throwing whatever is local and whatever is um, yummy at harvest time, throwing it into a barrel and letting it ferment, you know? So it's a way of preserving the harvest. Great. Um, And so that's Lambic. And Lambics, I will say they just one thing about them, they did say this a few times, that it's it's kind of a tough sell. There's not a lot of breweries Mm -hmm. brewing it. Yeah, it's an uphill battle because it's expensive mm-hmm. to brew it correctly and make it taste good. It's okay, you know, it's not too expensive to brew it cheaply, uh, but then it doesn't have the full flavor of the beer. And so if you want to be a traditionalist and sell the, the old school stuff that has so much of this exquisite flavor, you know, it's it's just more expensive. And then it's also a more limited market because who wants a beer that, 
Yeah. Uh, it tastes like sour and smells like, uh, you know, horse blanket. You know, does that sound good? <laughs> there are a million other delicious flavors in there, but yeah. those are the flavors that sort of the media picks up on. And, you know, it's just harder. It's easier to sell craft singles than it is to sell, uh, you know, Harbison from from Vermont or something. Like and that, does it, or, does know, it not travel? Plus. Does it not travel well? Because I will no, say it travels like, great. It's well, very stable because it's, it's so like a, expensive. I will say candy on. Mm-hmm. In the states is so expensive, whereas like I know I get yeah. that it's more expensive, but like at the brewery, I bought a four pack of Cantillon solid size bottles like for you know five, four or five. Or like yeah, yeah, it was way cheaper. And then like the same bottle that like was four euro there is like sixty bucks or something like that in mm-hmm. the states. Is that just yeah, that's just supply and demand? Supply and demand, okay. cultiness, all that stuff. I didn't know if it yeah if shipping it caused any troubles or anything like that, but okay, no. It does great um, stuff in a so actually the cuvee Rene that I'm I've already opened sounds like Larry's already opened it too oh, yeah. is in a yeah. green glass bottle <laughs> and there aren't a lot of hops in there but I get a little skunk flavor sometimes off of um, these green glass bottles which is a bummer because it's an expensive beer so yeah so it, th- that's one way it could suffer from from aging or transport gotcha. but in general these beers are pretty bulletproof and they age great because what's going to happen what's going to go wrong with a beer that ages it loses its bitterness it becomes sour and it becomes barnyardy and these beers already are low in bitterness they're sour and they're barnyardy I so, see. and they're going to evolve and become more whiny cool. and more fruity uh with time so they're they're great they're cool. uh, yeah they age great awesome so let's cap off lambic so one last thing rich mm-hmm. Someone who someone who's listened to this, they've never had a lambic before because they're not super common. They're not the easiest thing to find compared mm-hmm. to most other beers. What is one beer that someone can seek out that you think is going to give? Obviously, not the full experience, but like a solid starting point initiation into what a lambic beer uh, will give you. I definitely recommend going to Brussels. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I I do recommend richiggins.com. That's right, Richiggins.com. Beer tours. I'm the only way you can travel to Brussels right now during the pandemic. <laughs> I have a special EU permission. Um, I do not, unfortunately. Uh, I really recommend the beer that we keep chatting about, Cuvée okay. Renee from cool. Lindemans. It the price is right. It's about twelve bucks a bottle for seven fifty, and the flavor is excellent. And it's widely available because Lindemans' other fruited products that are much cheaper are everywhere, and so. It's as easy. It's almost as easy to find as Lindemann's Creek is. This is just a random one I like, but one Lindemann's I had that I don't always find, but I loved it. And my father-in-law, who doesn't wasn't super into like the the sour stuff, the sour beers in particular, um, he really liked the Spontan Basil. I believe was what it was called. Okay, from Mickler. From no, it wasn't Mickler. Is it not Lindemann's? Maybe it might have been a collab with Lindemans or something. Maybe like it was Lindemans and, and Mickler. I think Mickler has a spontaneous. Oh, it is. It is a collab. Fruits. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's Lindemans okay. Mickler. I just looked up. Mm. That one had like a little bit of a, a basil flavor mm-hmm. to it. Oh, fun! And it was a really cool, different, weird thing that still had the sourness in it. But like, it was kind of mm-hmm. one that, like, in a group of people who were not necessarily in the mood to learn anything about beer or anything, they really enjoyed it. Yeah. So that well, it's there. very traditional. There. I mean, in all all the Brussels sprouts fields, there's always a small little square patch of basil uh, that the that Brussels growers um, – uh, I'm running out of steam here. I'm making all this up. Basil is not traditional at all in Belgium, <laughs> um, but that's where Mikkeler comes in and tries to shake it up and say, let's you can't do, do that. Rich, you can't do that. We're relying on you for uh, information. No, I'm, that we I'm might totally, say, yeah, I'm we're just totally listening. Here, yeah, I'm like, like, oh, they make basil, they make basil, basil Kool-Aid pickles. <laughs> oh, no. Awesome. That so let's move good. on to the uh, the other major category of Belgian sour beers, and that yeah. is the Flemish sour. Yes. Perfect. So, yeah. So the beers that we've been describing are very complex to talk about, but the, 
they're the most simple to ferment in that they're spontaneously fermented. Okay, that's a lambic is spontaneously fermented. You're not adding anything. And so in Belgium, they don't really talk about lambics versus Flemish sours. They talk about spontaneously fermented beers versus a mixed culture beer. Right. So a mixed fermentation in Belgium means that there's some wild stuff going on, but also some of that. You know what I was describing earlier, the laboratory. Uh, sourced yeast that you end up purposely inoculating into the into the wort as a brewer, and so that's what the Flemish tradition is. Okay, they will uh, the brewers will brew a batch of beer that typically is kind of reddish brownish in color, and then they will ferment it in large oak vats uh, with some of their house yeast that they specifically want to get in there, and they want to give that yeast a head start. Okay, if you let stuff sort of trickle in through the air, it takes a long time to develop enough, um, uh, big enough population within the beer in order to ferment it and guide it the way you want it to. But if you give it a head start by adding brewer's yeast to it, um, then it will create alcohol right away. Uh, it will That alcohol will kill off some of the other bacteria that might uh, take the beer in a wilder direction. Um, so that uh, starts that way. But it's in these um, enormous oak vats, all right? So these oak vats are... I forget how many liters it shoot. I wish I knew. So like uh-huh. a regular wine barrel is like 225 liters. We're talking like 10,000 liters, mm-hmm. right? So very large oak vats. Um, they're called uh, foudre in French or fooder, uh, fooders in uh, in uh, Flemish or in Dutch. And so um, fooder beer is, uh, because it's oak, there's enough stuff potentially living in the oak from the last time the, the vat was used, as well as the ability for both oxygen and airborne bacteria and yeast to get in through the wood to get into the beer. So you will get the uh, influence of oxygen and um, airborne, you know, kind of wilder bacteria and stuff on the beer, but you also have the, the more controlled fermentation. And so these beers are sour from the bacteria. Uh, but they're also a little bit cleaner. They're less barnyardy. They're less earthy and medicinal and really just focus a little bit more on nice, bright fruit flavors, some sort of leathery, uh, mushroomy, earthy flavors. Um, but yeah, tons of fruit, lots of kind of raisin, uh, prune, what else? Cherry, dried cherry, plum, uh, things like that. Um, mm. And they're really delicious, absolutely delicious beers. I do feel like it's worth saying um, it's, you'll often see it as a Flanders red. Mm-hmm. Is written rather than Flemish red. Like I think way more common yeah. in the U.S. at least. Yeah. Um, which yeah, which a, we'll tell you is wrong. It's, a, it's an awkward name. I mean, <laughs> Flanders is a, Flanders is a place. Or I mean, I talk to people about this. You know, half the time people start thinking of the Simpsons, right? So it's <laughs> what we're talking about here is a, a red or brown ale that's uh, semi spontaneously fermented from the region of Western Flanders and Eastern Flanders, both of which are Mm. west of Antwerp and Brussels. And um, the idea that uh, Flanders Red and Flanders Brown are really different from each other is really kind of a modern American concept. In Belgium, they really just talk about mixed fermentation beers or the red-brown beers of Western Flanders and Eastern Flanders. So in Belgium, they really don't pigeonhole them too much. In the U.S., we really focus a lot more on the differences between them. But if you talk, so I talk to Belgian brewers and Belgian uh, bartenders about reds and browns, and they say it's the same beer. But in, if you want to kind of nitpick a little bit, the way we talk about it in the U.S. is the red beers are obviously red in color, a little bit lighter in color than the brown ones, mm-hmm. but they are fermented in oak. Um, the brown ones right. tend to be fermented in stainless steel. So they okay. have less oxidation going on. They have less ripening of the fruit. Again, there's no fruit in the in the beers, but the, the fruit aromas aren't quite as ripe in the brown, um, the browns, the Flanders browns, and they tend to be um, uh, a little bit more bitter and a little bit more alcoholic as well. 
So they're both lovely beers. Uh, great brown is uh, that's fairly easy to find. Is uh, called in Flemish. It's Leifman's Houdenbond, or it looks like Goudenbond. Leifman's is the brewery. Goudenbond, G-O-U-D-E-N-B-A-N-D, which stands for gold ring or means gold ring, is a great, um, pretty easy to find Flemish brown. And then a great Flanders red that's uh, pretty easy to find is Rodenbach Grand Cru. Um, or Rodenbach Classic, or Duchesse de Bourgogne. Um, those are great, mm-hmm. pretty easy to find Flanders Reds. So I, I, my, absol- I absolutely love a Flanders Red. This this category is my favorite, my favorite type mm-hmm. of beer. And uh, awesome. it's it, and I and I know you said this, and I and I feel like Rodenbach. I think I, it mentions a lot, almost because it's very you can find Rodenbach, but that's almost mm-hmm. more sweet than my my particular favorite type. I have a particular Flanders Red that's made in San Diego, made at Pure Project, called Rose Red, mm-hmm. or Rose oh, Red, awesome. I think technically is how it is. Rouge, yeah. So I've followed that, so I don't know like the best recommendation for like the less kind of sweetened variety of it. And I guess Rodenbach does make a few that aren't as sweet, like you mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Are there any like kind of recommendations that you have, either red or brown, for less of the less of the sweeter, juicier range that if someone who drinks yeah. like a Rodenbach might be a little turned off by? Yeah, so uh, one of the most exquisite ones that I've ever had is uh, is from Rodenbach, and it's called Vintage, and it's okay. basically it's not blended um, uh, from a bunch of different fooders. It's just their favorite fooder of that year, and it's unblended and it's quite dry, and it's not yeah, it's just not as sweet. It's absolutely lovely. Um, speaking of San Diego, there's also uh, the Lost Abbey, which has oh, Cuvée yes. de Tomé. Mm. So Cuvée de Tomé is uh, named after Tommy Arthur, the the head brewer there. It's an exquisite beer, um, absolutely lovely and very dry. A hallmark flavor. So, so we talked about the lambics. I bet a lot of listeners who aren't too familiar with these beers might be like, "Oh, lambic sounds weird and stinky." <laughs> Flanders Red sounds like my like my jam. There is a kind of weirdo flavor that you'll get a little bit in a Flanders Brown and a lot more in a Flanders Red. And that flavor is uh, nail polish remover. Mm, sounds oh. lovely, right? Nice and solventy, uh, acetone uh, based. Um, it's technically called ethyl acetate. That's the uh, the ester that's produced um, by the yeast during the fermentation, and it's a combination of both acetic acid, which is vinegar, as well as ethanol. So that's alcohol. They get together and create uh, ethyl acetate, which in lower quantities smells sort of like uh, apples and cherries. It's this nice kind of fruity note, like pears, really ripe pears or plums. Um, and then in higher quantities, it smells like nail polish remover. And in Cuvée de Tomé, I get uh, that really, I just love it. I get that nail polish remover. It's nice and dry. It's a dry beer wow. and it's nice and solventy and um, it's lovely. And it's just asking for, you know, buttery mushrooms or some Ooh. fatty, rich, stinky cheese. It's mm. so good. Or some duck or something like that. Duck breast. Mm so good yeah i love this the sour bitter it's it's a good middle ground for me and maybe that's why i like it it's like i do like the sour but i don't necessarily always want to drink it whereas i could love a little bringing a little bit more of the i don't know the fruit and the bitterness and it just Mm. it it hits a sweet spot for me that uh i don't think any other beer can well yeah so what what do you what do you like so much about uh flanders reds over lambics then because lambics are fruity too uh, sort of different different types yeah of it feels i it's it's weird because this this again this gets into my my simplified brain uh trying to describe <laughs> flavors thing it feels a little more full-bodied in a way like it feels okay, like a yeah. little a little thicker and, mm-hmm. and, and it's not just it's not like just full tartness it feels like mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a of a yeah I, maybe this is this might get into a little bit more mouthfeel like there's a little mm-hmm. bit more of a carbonation to it, it I, and a little bit more of like a a thickness to the the feeling of it 
It feels a little more complex, which I am afraid to say because I <laughs> might tell you that. But um, my brain almost wants to put it in terms of the colors. Like the, like I said, mm. sour seems like a very light, you know, lambic is a light colored thing, but sour seems <laughs> very almost light in a way. And it feels like it brings a little bit of darkness, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of okay. like, I don't know, like raisiny quality, a little bit of earthiness, a little sure. bit of tannins. Yeah, I think I think you're right on, especially with the, the tannin and and the raisin note. So so the darker color of the Flanders reds and browns comes from the fact that there's darker malt and and sometimes um, dark Belgian candy sugar that's been added. So those malts and and sugars get dark in the first place because they're literally caramelized to some extent, and so those caramels pass through into the finished beer. So you're getting a little bit of a sweeter note, but also that sort of chewier thing. Um, and then the the fooders that they use for the Flanders reds. They're very large compared to the small barrels that are typically used for, for lambics. You would expect to get more oak in a lambic than in the Flanders Red because the, the ratio of, of beer that's touching the wood is, is much greater in a, in a lambic, right? With the smaller barrels, you've got more beer that's actually touching the wood. However, in a lambic, they're using exclusively neutral oak. The oak's been used many, many times before, and it doesn't have any more tannins and things to lend to the beer most of the time. Um, but in the case of like Rodenbach, for example... It's a large oak fooder, but they will uh, plane it uh, in between each use. So meaning they'll scrape off the, the layer of wood that's touched the beer uh, in between each use. So, so a beer will sit in those, those oak fooders for you know, sometimes three years. You know, most of the time, it's about two years before they empty it out and blend it into another beer. Uh, but in between that use, they'll, they'll go in, they'll take apart the barrels. They're, it's amazing. Oh. I've been to the Cooper shop wow. there. They'll take a take one part. They number each of the staves, and they um, then they wow. plane them to expose new fresh wood, and then they'll put it back together like a puzzle piece, wow. or like a puzzle. And uh, so you get a lot more of that fresh oak in there, um, and that oak will give you tannin, uh, specifically gallo tannins. They're the nice, uh, soft mouth coating tannins that uh, that vintners pay a lot of money for um, in their wines. And then you also get the flavors of vanilla and coconut. And uh, clove from the oak as well. So those the, those beers you're talking about that you like so much, the Flanders Reds, have that sort of vanilla caramel. Yeah, the, um, the, I think the caramel and the maltiness, yeah, that you bring up, but also mm. is a big part of it because I do like yeah. maltier beers. And I and yeah, it's a cool type yeah. that I think people are like. Both of these are in that category, and I like. I love talking about these types of beers because they're beers that I've come to love, but you just don't mm. see them a ton. You don't. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of places are going to introduce you to them. You kind of have to seek them out a lot, but they're definitely yeah. worthwhile. Well, it's tough too because a lot of them are in large, large bottles. Okay, that's just the yeah. in Belgium they're brewed that, or they're packaged that way. People in Belgium get these beers. They know what they're about, and they're in a tradition where they drink a bottle of wine or a big bottle of beer every day with a meal with friends. You know, mm -hmm. but in the U.S., beer is much more of a personalized experience. And so, sitting down at a restaurant or going to a grocery store and buying a big bottle is a much bigger investment usually and a lot of the time people don't want to share beers or they're you know it's just hard to get people together to share a beer i yeah. think and so especially right now it's a more limited market we gotta bring that back we gotta bring that back i agree thank you <laughs> bring that back so then just to cap off the flemish sour side of things is there anything else rich mm -hmm. that you want to say about flemish sours that people should know any other details uh, they make a hell of an affogato. <laughs> that sounds really good. So if good. you've ever liked a Coke float, it's a uh, cherry, <laughs> cherry Coke float. It wouldn't be too different. Get a, wow. get a scoop of a, a vanilla ice cream. And um, that sounds good. That's, on, honestly, I like the idea of a Flanders red being like the alcoholic adults, cherry Coke. 
Yeah. That makes it, like an it, <laughs> not an alcoholic adult. I mean, the drink is alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but <Nice. laughs> the, the kind of adult cherry Coke, I think is a good way to put it. Because it does, I do have a little bit of a sweet tooth, but it doesn't feel like I'm drinking a dessert. Mm. So we can get into it more next week. But just to kind of cap off the talk about these two, we'll do one at a time. Rich, let's get one dish for a food pairing, okay? I'm, yeah, I'm, let's go for, on the Lambic. Let's say we got a Cuvée Renee. Let's get mm-hmm. one dish. What can I pair with this really sour uh, beer? Uh, I would go with uh, fried chicken and biscuits and collard greens. Interesting. Okay. I never okay. would have thought that. All okay. right, and let's let's go to the 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 Flemish sours. Let's say let's narrow it down a little. Let's say the Rodenbach Grand Cru. I guess to find something that people can find. Uh, how about a um, bacon cheeseburger with uh, with uh, brie cheese? Sounds oh, so God. good. I think we've talked about that before in one of our mm. food food pairings. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I just I love the I love the. You can have a pickle with all of that, right? <laughs> well, the beard sort are your pickles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can never have too much yeah. sour, so you can still have a pickle with all of that, right? Yes, you certainly can. Um, yeah, I love cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, the uh, so champagne is often sort of like is paired with things like, you know, potato chips and fried chicken and stuff like that. It's like greasy and salty. Um, and, uh, a goods is going to be fantastic um, with that stuff in the same, the same vein. So I think it's just perfect with good, like good Southern food. Um, and it's, uh, obviously good with a ton of great, you know, Belgian food as well. So things like, you know, mushrooms and Brussels sprouts and, uh, you know, really buttery chicken and things like that. I think that about wraps it up for our Belgian sour part of the Sourmer journey. Thank you, Rich. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, next time we'll we'll get into uh, more sour, more sour talk, um, including talking about why sours are very popular in the summer. But that's all for this episode. Uh, again, we'll be releasing our tasting separately from here on out. So look out for our next taster shortly after this is released, and we will be trying that Belgian sour we've mentioned a bunch of times: Lindemann's Cuvée Rene. We oui, we. Oui. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just thought I'd pause just in case there's any comment. We've already talked about the beer at length. <laughs> if you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us. Uh, five star reviews in particular go a long way on iTunes, and they're not going to arrest you for lying by a star or two. Uh, or <laughs> rate us in your favorite podcast app. Feel free to be honest, uh, but hopefully you like us. If your podcast app has these are a rating feature, that really helps us out. Um, if you have any questions for Rich about pairings, tasting, styles of beer, anything, email us at liquidbreadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at, at liquidbreadpod. Uh, Rich, do you have anything to plug? Oh, boy. Uh, keep drinking beer. How about that? Keep supporting local breweries. That's for sure. So, no, <laughs> nothing specific to plug. I'm a bad plugger right now. <laughs> Larry? Uh, I'll have some stuff coming up. I mean, uh, I realize you say your Instagram handle all the time. So I'm at the talented Mr. Bates on Instagram and talented Mr. Bates on Twitter. Feel Great. free to follow. Awesome. And you can follow me at, at Matty Smith on Twitter. M-A-T-T-Y-S-M-I-F-F. Because Smith is a common name. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy beering. Happy beering. Happy beering. <laughs>